Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Something that makes me crazy is when people say, well, I had this career before, but it was a waste. And that's where the perspective shift comes, that it's not a waste that everything you've done has built you to where you are now. This is She Pivots, the podcast where we explore the inspiring pivots women have made and dig deeper into the personal reasons behind them. Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey fam, I'm Simone Boyce. I'm Danielle Robay. And we're the hosts of The Bright Side, the podcast from Hell of Sunshine that's guaranteed to light up your day. Like our recent episode with sisters Regina and Raina King about the why behind their production company, Royal Ties. We have such a huge love for storytelling without walls, without barriers. Listen to The Bright Side from Hello Sunshine on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Imagine you're a fly on the wall at a dinner between the mafia, the CIA, and the KGB. That's where my new podcast begins. This is Neil Strauss, host of To Live and Die in L.A., and I wanted to quickly tell you about an intense new series about a dangerous spy taught to seduce men for their secrets and sometimes their lives. From Tenderfoot TV, this is To Die For. To Die For is available now. Listen for free on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Welcome to Time Out. I'm Eve Rodsky, author of the New York Times bestseller, Fair Play, and Find Your Unicorn Space, activist on the gender division of labor, attorney, and family mediator. And I'm Dr. Aditi Narukar, a physician and medical correspondent with an expertise in the science of stress, resilience, mental health, and burnout. We're here to peel back the layers around why it's so easy for society to guard men's time as if it's diamonds and to treat women's time as if it's infinite, like sand. And whether you are partnered with or without children or in a career where you want more boundaries, this is the place for you, for all family structures. We're here to take a time out, to learn, get inspired, and most importantly, reclaim our time. Hi, Aditi. How are you? Hi, Eve. Great to see you as always. I think this is going to be one of my favorite episodes because today we're really talking about not shitting where we're eating. (laughs) In a time when we are shitting where we eat, as the really good phrase goes, we've talked a bit about boundaries in the home, but we haven't really talked about them or explored them in their full entirety biological boundaries, metaphysical boundaries, what that means to be in a physical space, to have mental space, to have, as we said, spiritual space, whatever space you need. We want to talk about that today and how creating real authentic space for yourself requires boundaries. And I was thinking about boundaries when I was talking to 
two amazing people that were in my Fair Play study, Leanna and Christian. But I remember speaking to them about what their life during COVID felt like. And even before that, Leanna was saying that as a mom of four kids, and they were homeschooling their children, like so many of us, that her life felt like a conveyor belt. She used this conveyor belt metaphor that things kept on coming at her. And she was trying to pick them up and pick them up and pick them up. Reminds me of that old school Lucille Ball episode of the chocolate balls on a conveyor belt. And she's trying to eat them all (laughs) really fast because they can't catch them as they're flying off. Fine, you're doing splendidly. Speed it up a little! To the point where you almost give up. You give up because you can't catch all those chocolate balls. And then her husband, Christian, said that he never thought of his life as a conveyor belt. He thought of his life as a plate. And when his plate is full, he stops putting things on it. And often women are feeling like conveyor belts in my data, and men are able to be plates. And so today I really want to think about how we could all be plates. I want to be a plate. I want to be like a dancing plate in the cartoon and Beauty and the Beast, one of the amazing plates (laughs) that come out during that big scene where everyone's dancing and singing, be our guest. How can we all be plates? It's so interesting when you share that story about Leanne and Christian. I think about something like multitasking in relation to boundary setting. And what's fascinating is that our brains are wired to do one thing at a time. And when we say, as women, more than men, typically, we say we're, we're great at multitasking and it's a real badge of honor. In fact, what we're doing, it's a scientific misnomer. Multitasking is task switching. There's no such thing as multitasking. The brain is wired to do one thing at a time. Only 2% of the population can truly multitask. The rest of us, and I include myself in that 98%, we're just doing two things in rapid succession, task switching. And that can have lots of profound detrimental effects on the brain. It affects things like our cognition, our memory, attention, and counterintuitively, our productivity and efficiency. It also decreases our ability to solve complex problems. And I don't know about you, but there are a lot of complex problems to solve. So we really can't afford to multitask. The interesting thing about boundaries and like the human brain is that we function optimally and our brains function optimally when there are clear boundaries, particularly when it comes to our roles. And that has been really challenging these past couple of years because there are no boundaries. There's no physical boundaries. So your desk is right in the living room. Your children are Zoom schooling next to you. The kitchen is a few steps away. Your partner is right there. And so that inability to create physical space translates to the inability to create space in the mind. And so all of these things pile up on top of each other. This is why one of the strategies that I suggest to people during this time is to fake your commute. The commute is so therapeutic and so beneficial for the brain. It's because after we do our mornings of getting our children ready for school, getting ourselves ready, we have that commute, whether it's five minutes, 30 minutes, or an hour, 
to just reframe and get into the head of, okay, now I'm in work mode. And then on your commute back home, you're thinking, okay, I'm in home mode, but it takes some time. There's that transition that has to happen. I call it the bookends, right? You know, how they kind of compartmentalize things. Without that daily commute, we're switching from one thing to the other, one thing to the other. We are multitasking in this new working from home era, and we don't even know it. We are not biologically wired to do that. And that is why we're seeing such a rise and unprecedented level of burnout, mental health issues, anxiety, insomnia, depression, really bleak statistics because of the inability to create space. A lot of it is societal and forced upon us. But prior to this particular moment, it was just not as acute, but we're really feeling that pressure cooker now. Well, I think that's so important because people are literally shitting where they eat. I had women tell me that they were having lunch in the bathroom, hiding from their families because their partners took up the quote unquote good space. Essential workers, Mm. people who are not working from home, they still had the issue of having space time continuum problems because even if they had a commute, their children in many cases weren't having a commute. And so it was very confusing in in that way to be able to have their head at home. So this is a metaphorical space thing. Thinking about home all the time while also being at work is a very highly stressful thing as well. And so I think regardless of whether you are physically in a chair on Zoom or whether you have to still commute, but your other family members are not settled and compartmentalized the way that they used to be, it's feeling like everything is this metaphorical shitting where you eat. And I love your idea of bookends because I think that's really important. I like to think a lot about space, metaphorical space. So if you don't have physical space, which many of us don't right now, it's sort of all blending into one, it requires an urgency about creating boundaries in other ways through self-talk, through decisions we make, through actions we take. And so I wonder if you could talk a little bit about what other actions are you seeing people take that are helpful to start protecting their boundaries? And I know our guest, Dr. Amber Thornton, is going to be helping us with that as well. But I wonder what you're seeing out there. We're really facing this shadow pandemic, which is the pandemic of mental health and burnout The statistics are bleak. Seven out of 10 workers say that this is the most stressful time of their entire professional careers. 70% of people have at least one feature of burnout and about 60% think that the pandemic has been a culprit. What's really fascinating about this lack of boundaries, pressure cooker, burnout situation is that we used to think that it was the typical features of burnout, right? Apathy, feeling disengaged from work, increased errors, boredom, lack of productivity. Yes, of course, those things are happening. But more and more, what we're seeing is that there is an inability to disconnect from work, which is an atypical feature of burnout. 60% of people have that. Mm. So they might not even recognize it as burnout because they think of burnout as, oh, I don't really want to do work. I'm not into it. But in fact, The inability to disconnect is something that is so prevalent right now. It is also because of our physical structure. 
We're working at home. We're parenting at the same time. These are impossible demands. Well, thank you for that. I think that's really important. We are at a place now where burnout is um, not going to be solved by just taking that walk around the block. It's really this practice. So not doing the commute once, but faking a commute if you're home every day, adding practices to your life. And also existentially, I would add that to me, a true boundary is being interested in your own life. And when you're interested in your own life and you take actions that signal you're interested in your own life, we talk about unicorn space, like a dance class or a pottery workshop or a mixology experience or an axe throwing experience or a bull riding experience. It can go on and on and on. (laughs) When you start taking actions that show and signal you're interested in your own life, it really can be a start of becoming curious again, of becoming in love with your life again. In a way, I think that so many of us who were languishing last year have thought we could give that up and that would get us more time. But I actually think when we took that off our plate, these things that make us come alive, I actually think that our boundaries got worse. That's what I'm hearing from the data, that when I took things off my plate, for me, I thought I would gain more time back to do everything else for everybody else. But actually, it's I don't. I'm just filling my days with more hedonistic well-being. I'm doom scrolling Twitter more. I'm drinking more. So it's not like taking off the things that we do for ourselves helps us create boundaries. I actually think it makes it harder to create boundaries. I often think about stress or burnout or that pressure cooker situation as a tea kettle. And we are that tea kettle. And so you are sitting on that hot stove, the temperature is way up and we are building up steam. And that's where we can all relate to that metaphor because we feel it. We often try to adjust the knob to decrease the heat. And in many instances, we can do that if it's an acute situation. But right now, these are forces out of our control. We can't adjust the heat. So what can we do? We can open up that lever to blow off that steam. And it takes effort to pull up that lever to blow off that steam. But it's that doing. And so with all of these examples that you've given, Eve, it's all in the doing. When you do better, you feel better. But it has to be a practice. It has to be consistent. Our brain is a muscle. When The more you use it, the better and stronger it becomes. The other thing when we're creating new habits to combat burnout and stress is to really think about decision fatigue, especially now. We are so tapped, we're really running on fumes, all of us. And so if you were to say, I'm gonna do this twice a week, chances are you won't get to it, just like your research has shown. It's very difficult to start something new when you are psychologically not in the best place. That is why you have to incorporate something small, something new that is small into your day every single day. So it becomes a habit. We have to think about this as our mental health hygiene and incorporating these small nuggets into our daily lives because these small incremental changes have a big impact on the brain. And what I'll end on before we introduce our wonderful guest is that I actually think when you think about boundaries. There's two words, and I I love my alliterations. This one is two A's. I think of boundaries as a combination of something active. When you set a boundary, the word set is a verb. So it's something active 
And it's also something that requires attention. So when you think of it, if you're being active in something that requires sustained attention, then you're helping yourself create a boundary. That to me is how practically a boundary looks. I've created a boundary when I am in active pursuit and I have sustained attention to something that I decided I wanted to have sustained attention on. So if you're not feeling active in this way we're talking about, or you don't believe you have the ability to pay attention, that's also a way of deducing that you probably are not there yet in creating boundaries. So one other little ritual that I've been doing, Didi, because you know how much I love burning things, is that (laughs) I've been setting a candle next to my desk and lighting a candle for the times where I want to have a boundary, where I'm intentional about saying I'm now in active pursuit of something I want to pay attention to. And then I blow out the candle when I go and have to re-enter society for things that other people want me to pay attention to. It's almost like starting a timer, but in a way that smells better than setting a timer on your phone. Yeah, you're creating a sense of intention and that force of intention fuels you. It's also a good tell for others if they're watching you. We're never alone (laughs) right now in our homes. So if someone walks by you and wants to interrupt you, they say, oh no, mom has that candle on. I can't bother her. My candle is burning. So I think that's a great metaphor to leave us on uh, as our guest joins us today. Dr. Amber Thornton is a boundary expert. She's a clinical psychologist, motherhood wellness consultant, and helps empower working parents everywhere to reimagine their work and home life. She's going to be talking with us after the break. We're so excited to be joined now by Dr. Amber Thornton. Dr. Thornton is a boundary expert. She's a clinical psychologist, motherhood wellness consultant, and helps empower working parents everywhere to reimagine their work and home life. And perhaps our listeners will find it comforting to know that even our best boundary experts aren't exempt from space issues. She's joining us today from her downstairs office while her kids are home upstairs. Hi, Amber. Thank you for being here. Hi, Amber. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited for this conversation. So, Amber, I love your tagline, redefining motherhood one boundary at a time. That really resonated with me. One of my first questions to you is why are boundaries important? As women, we are often socialized to, one, just think about the other first. We're always told that if we have children, our, our kids are more important. If we are partnered, our partners are more important. Their careers are more important. And so we just grow up learning that we need to put other people's needs first. We become really good at anticipating the needs of other people. And we don't learn how to differentiate ourselves from the needs of other people or the desires of other people or even other people's ideas for us. And so that's why those boundaries are so important, because if we don't have those We will continue to operate in a way that um, prioritizes everyone else and really neglects ourselves. And so we need those boundaries as reminders to take care of ourselves, but also to just remind us where we begin, where our children begin, where we end so that we can really take care of ourselves. You give us three steps to setting boundaries. 
And it's such a difficult thing to do because we have to learn how to say no. But how do we start? How do we start setting the boundary and what are the steps to doing it? The, the first thing is really to just listen to yourself. Oftentimes when we need to set a boundary, we know that there's this voice inside sometimes that's saying, hey, there's something here that's not right. There's something here that doesn't feel good. And we have to just really like respect and honor that because again, as women and mothers, we're socialized to not trust the little voice inside, to not trust our intuition. And so really acknowledging that, but then also really trusting and respecting what it's trying to tell you. It's real, it's valid, there's nothing wrong with it, and it's okay to move forward with setting a boundary. And then once you learn how to trust yourself and understand that inner voice, then we get to the place of respecting ourselves or feeling that we're worthy enough to deserve the boundary. And then that third most critical step is saying no, Mm -hmm. which is like, we're like, a train that's moving and then suddenly just come to a screeching halt. I was a former people pleaser. I still Mm -hmm. am. And I just wanted to ask you about that as we talk about this need to people please, but then moving past that and being able to say no. Definitely. People pleasing can be a consequence of something negative happening to you or around you or near you when you were younger or in the past. For some people, it could be the result of a trauma they've experienced. Girls, oftentimes when they're growing up, they're taught explicitly and implicitly that it's not okay to be honest about how you feel. We're taught to make sure everyone's okay, don't want to hurt their feelings, don't ruffle any feathers, and our no's are scary. Our no's are not okay. Our no's make people uncomfortable. And we, unfortunately, are not taught how to sit with the discomfort that might come when someone's not happy with us. No one teaches us, okay, well, this is what it means when someone's upset with you and that it's okay. (laughs) When you said someone is not happy with you, my heart started to to pound. Mm -hmm. I was like, who's not happy with me right right now? Exactly. And I don't like, I don't want somebody to be not happy with me. So it's creating a visceral response, even as you say it. And it's just a hypothetical and my heart is pounding. Exactly. Automatically, we get this visceral feeling of like, oh, I've done something wrong. Oh, how do I fix it? When really, it's okay for people to not be pleased with you. It's okay for them to not like you or be approving of what you're doing. That All of that is okay. And how do we learn to say no? Practice. <laughs> It's so simple. And I know people are going to be upset with me when I say that, but truly you have to just do it. There's no step really that I can give you. It's truly just practice. And so one way to make it a little bit easier to start is say no to the things that feel simple at first. So for instance, there might be a friend saying, hey, I want to come over. And whether it's because of the pandemic whether it's because we're just tired, whatever it is, being okay saying, hey, I I would love for you to come over, but I'm just not feeling up to it. Really, truly, it comes down to the practice. Really do it. Practice. Hold yourself accountable. And maybe even ask someone to hold you accountable so that they can cheer you on and support you as you're practicing this. We have a group thread of my college friends, and we share in there um, when we're about to decline an opportunity or say no to something. And so when you talk about practice, I think it's so important because it reminds me that people will say to me, you know, I said that five years ago and I expect them to still remember that that was my boundary. Mm -hmm. But it, it reminds me of saying, well, you know, I exercised once when I was 18 
and I'm 45 now and I'm supposed to still be fit. (laughs) I mean, if you say that, we would all laugh, right? Because we know that exercise is a practice. But when it comes to boundary setting, we look at it as a one and done. You know, well, I, I told them no. So why are they asking me again? Sometimes you have to keep practicing. It's absolutely not a one and done because I think also it takes time for other people to learn and understand your boundaries. They might not hear it the first time. And so you have to continue to reiterate. Dr. Amber, we've talked a lot about friendships and setting boundaries in our personal life. But what about in our professional life? How can we say no to increasing work responsibilities? Yeah, that's a tough one because right now so much of our lives are blurred. Like even for me right now, my kids are here and I can hear them upstairs. (laughs) They're they're jumping (laughs) on the ceiling. But you know, it's funny (laughs) because I think that someone was knocking on my door as your child was jumping on the ceiling. And I was thinking there's just like a, this is like a symphony of interruption Mm -hmm. to try to keep us uh, honest in our conversation about how hard it Mm -hmm. could be to set a boundary. Especially right now, things are so blurred. So for instance, I'm working right now in my basement and my children are upstairs running rampant. And so I think finding the balance between the personal and then the professional, putting some boundaries around the professional, that can be really scary because sometimes we are fearful that if we have to be honest or set a boundary, that that might mean a missed opportunity. Or it might mean that we are not viewed in the same way that we previously were. Unfortunately, it really leads to a lot of us hiding so much of ourselves in our professional fronts. And I hope that we become more comfortable with not completely blurring the two, but realizing that one doesn't take away from the other. What helps me is to think about our values. Right. And so, you know, for me, I'm one that really values my family. I love my children. I value my well-being and I also really love my career. And I'm really careful to make sure that one doesn't take away from the other. And so if I do have to set a, a boundary professionally, I'm reminding myself that this boundary is for the greater good of my health, my family, myself. And it's not at the expense of anything that I have going on. You know, you truly do walk the talk, Dr. Amber, because in your email response, it is like a gem. You are teaching women how to set boundaries through your lived experience. Wait, what is us? it? Yeah, tell us what it is. I, I, I think Aditi was the one who got your email response. So I want to hear what it is. <laughs> I put a away message up maybe about a month ago now because I realized I was constantly checking my emails on my phone and it was just taking so much of my time. So I put up the away message and it basically just says, hey, I've got your message, but I'm only checking my email box on Mondays and Thursdays. This is me setting my boundary and practicing bold and firm boundaries. I hope you appreciate it and I'll talk to you soon. Wow. <laughs> but I've, I've actually got a lot of good feedback about it. People see it and they're like, oh, wow. I want to do that too. So I'm glad it can encourage and inspire someone else because it helps me a lot. I know our team, when we got that, it was so affirming. We're like, well, we got the right expert about boundaries. If that's, I guess, if that's your email, right? That's what I'm thinking right now. (laughs) And I'm thinking, what days would I want to check my emails? Because I think it's (laughs) something I think I'm going to try. It's definitely a practical uh, step. And I think that's the last question I wanted to ask you. How do boundaries interact with expectations. Because when I think about fair play, where it started from, it was really an understanding that in my work as someone who looks at behavioral design, 
One of the things to a well-functioning organization is explicitly defined expectations. And so I want to understand if boundaries help us set other people's expectations, or if it's that the expectations that we set for ourselves then have to be communicated in a boundary, or is it a big circle? It's a huge circle. It's both of those things. Absolutely. Again, once we can work through the fear of setting our boundaries, it makes life easier for everyone, including ourselves, because people then know what to expect from us. We know what to expect from ourselves. Once people learn our boundaries, we then can have a better understanding of what to expect from them. It it, it makes everything, like you said, much more clear because we don't have to guess. We don't have to be surprised. When we can express how we feel, what we need, it just makes um, communication a lot more accessible and lots of clarity. And that's always a good thing. Well, you read my mind because my word of 2022 is clarity. So what a beautiful gift to leave all of us with. So I really want to thank you so much for being with us today. We love your work. And last question is, where can people find you if they want to learn more about how to set boundaries? Well, I'm so glad to be here. So thank you so much for having me. Anyone can find me at balancedworkingmama.com. Also, I'm always on Instagram at Dr. Amber Thornton. And then we also have an Instagram page for Balanced Working Mama too. Hi, it's me, Eve. Are you a therapist, counselor, coach, or nutritionist that has thought about introducing the Fair Play system directly to your clients? Well, now you can. Come enroll in the Fair Play Method, a new online program that provides you with hands-on training, a ton of valuable resources, and a community of certified professionals who are all part of a greater cultural movement for systemic change. Learn more about how you can help your clients shift the domestic workload in their own homes towards more equity, more fairness, and greater connectivity. Visit fairplaylife.com. So as you may know now, every episode of this podcast ends with an action item for you, our listeners, that we call a timeout. This is really a time for you to focus on yourself and reflect on what you're hearing today. And we're starting the conversation first with ourselves and then ultimately with those around us. So it seems to me that a lot of what we're talking about in timeout is actually about boundaries. And I know we started with Greg McEwen, and we keep laddering up to get to this place of Dr. Amber Thornton, where we're talking about space, physical and mental space, and how hard that is to come by. I want to understand, Aditi, what is the power of mental and physical space on the brain? What does it do for us when we create physical and mental space to have a room of one's own, the idea of Virginia Woolf 100 years ago, that we needed a metaphorical, physical room of one's own if we wanted to write and ideate and create and think and be. What is that power of space? Our brains function best when there's compartmentalization. And that absence of boundary and compartmentalization wreaks havoc on us. So in an era when it's really difficult to carve out that brain space and physical space, to be a worker and a parent and a spouse since everything is happening in the same place. One of the strategies that I said before that I like to use is a fake commute. And so since all of us are working from home, 
you know, that magical 20 minutes that you would give yourself for a commute, it may help you get into a new headspace, even though you are coming back into the same physical environment. Another technique that we can use to create a little bit more space in the mind, in the body, and also in our physical space is avoid checking your phone first thing in the morning. It is what we all do. Our phones have become our alarm clocks. They sit next to us on the nightstand. We wake up before our eyes are even fully open and attuned to the morning light. We are scrolling. We think of it as a benign, innocuous thing that we do just to get ready for the day. These are not benign entities. Email, work responsibilities, social media, they have a direct hit on our dopamine, our serotonin, and our neurotransmitters. So instead, keep your phone, either in a different room, if you can manage it, but you can graduate to that level, or just away from your nightstand where you have to physically get up out of bed to check your phone in the morning. And then the final thing I will say, Eve, is the reason that we check our phones so incessantly during the day right now, probably more than we ever have, is because our bodies and our brains are primed for survival and pandemics stoke our primal fears. Checking the news, scrolling through social media is a primal urge. It's our way to feel safe. What's happening though, it's a negative feedback loop. We scroll, we see something that's dangerous or a news headline and it revs up our dopamine response and our fear cascade in our bodies. And so to really combat that, we need to create a little bit of space to understand how our bodies are responding. The space-time continuum is collapsing on all of us. So this is our superhero <laughs> episode. So what I think would be fun for today's timeout exercise, if you're listening on the road, wait to pull over, but grab a journal, grab a piece of paper. We want you to take a timeout today to commit to one space ritual. And we don't mean suiting up for outer space, but as Aditi said, pick one. We'll give you four choices and then report to us. If you don't like one of these four choices, tell us what you do to create a space ritual. We'll share it in our show notes. I want to say one other anecdote before we give you your choices. I had this really wonderful nurse tell me that for her, being in industrial fluorescent lights all day was really, really hard for her. And so this one amazing woman told me that to create space on her commute, what she's been doing is taking a camera and taking a picture in nature on the way to work, at lunch, and on our way home. When she does that, instead of faking a commute, because she still has a commute, it still allows her to separate her industrial fluorescent light, harsh job as a caregiver during the day as a nurse with the communing with nature that she'd like to do with her family, her friends. So I love that. So here's your four choices. Your four choices are create a fake commute. As Aditi said, that walk that separates your work and your home life if you're working from home. If you're not working from home, maybe try that idea of taking a picture or some ritual to separate you from your job. For me, I light a candle. That's your second choice. When I'm concentrating and paying attention in my physical space, I actually light a candle. That way I have to physically blow it out when I want to leave a space of attention. Three, your choice is to put your phone in another room or to not check it when you first get up in the morning. 
And fourth, if you can, we're going to go back to Dr. Amber Thornton's technique of creating some version of an out-of-office email that allows you a little bit more space to respond to other people when you decide to, as opposed to reactively when they want your response. So space is hard, but once you create it, it's time to decide how you want to use that amazing, glorious space. And that's what we're going to be talking about next week with creative, professional, and most amazing designer and human being, Justina Blakeney. She's going to talk to us about how to occupy space with intention and how to get curious about our lives. Thank you for listening to Time Out, a production of iHeart Podcasts and Hello Sunshine. I'm Eve Rodsky, author of the New York Times bestseller, Fair Play, and Find Your Unicorn Space. Follow me on social media at Eve Rodsky and learn more about our work at Fair Play Life. And I'm Dr. Aditi Narukar, a Harvard physician with a specialty in stress, resilience, burnout, and mental health. Follow me on social media at Dr. Aditi Narukar and find out more about my work at draditi.com. That's D-R-A-D-I-T-I.com. Our Hello Sunshine team is Amanda Farrand, Erin Stover, and Jennifer Yonker. Our iHeart Media team is Ali Perry, Jennifer Bassett, and Jessica Kreinschich. We hope you all love taking a much-needed time out with us today. Listen and subscribe to Time Out on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your favorite shows.